0: spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Nika. Hello and welcome to the Creepy Side of NEPA. I am Dan Kozlowski. Before we get started with tonight's episode, I'd just like to once again remind everybody, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Creepy Side of NEPA on whichever podcast platform you are listening to us on. Joining us on tonight's episode is author, historian, and paranormal researcher Patty Wilson, also known as the Ghost Lady of P.A., Patty wrote many books, like the Big Book of Pennsylvania Ghost Stories, Honda Pennsylvania, Monsters of Pennsylvania, UFOs of Pennsylvania, Totally Bizarre PA, and Gettysburg Ghost Guide, just to name a few. Patty, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: So, Patty, before we get started with our conversation, I found a large list of books that you have published about the paranormal, mostly pertaining to the Pennsylvania area. How many books have you put out?
1: Totally. There's 24 and three that are slated for publication in the next year.
0: So you're still currently putting books out on the paranormal?
1: As long as I have breath.
0: (laughs) So do you mostly concentrate on the Pennsylvania area?
1: Um, I do as a general rule. The North um, North Carolina books came from being invited to Rhine Research Center in Durham, North Carolina to do a project. At that time, they had never dealt with the ghosts and the paranormal they dealt mostly with esp and they wanted to know what we ghost hunters were up to and they invited 10 groups from around the nation to show them what ghost hunting was and through that i made a liaison with the um, state capitol building and ray beck who was their state historian at the time and we did part of our project down here was collecting their ghost stories and folklore so that it would be there for posterity and um, from that came the books And then um, West Virginia is because my best friend lives there and I spend an awful lot of time hopping around West Virginia with her poking into haunted sites.
0: So most of these books have to deal with you passing through or on your travels picking up stories. Yeah. What got you interested in the whole paranormal field?
1: Well, um, I suppose the first time I saw a ghost, I was 10 years old. And my grandfather, Bookie, was put in a nursing home for two weeks until my um, one aunt who had a nervous breakdown was going to be able to get my other aunt to take care of him. He was in his 90s. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and Mm -hmm. Bookie was standing at the foot of my bed, something that had never happened in the entirety of my little 10-year-old life. He looked immensely sad and just stared at me very solemnly bookie was the patriarch of our family and i had appropriate reverence for this man when he paid you attention you felt like god had talked to you so i knew this was very important that bookie was there and it made me start to cry and then he faded away and my mom and dad heard me crying i got very loud And, um, they came out of, out of the bedroom in the middle of the night and I told them bookie was there and bookie was dead. And he, um, he wasn't coming back anymore. And they told me I had had a nightmare the next day. My mom took my sister and I to town. And when we came back, my dad was sitting in the living room. And I remember his head was down on the ironing board that was still up in the corner. And he lifted his face. It was the first time I'd ever seen him cry. And he looked at my mother and he said, my sister called, Bookie died in the nursing home last night. And my mom and my dad looked at me very oddly because he had died right before Bookie came to say goodbye.
0: Well, you saw him basically right when he died.
1: Yeah. Bookie had 29 grandsons and three granddaughters. So we were very, um, precious and, and uh, rare commodities in his his world. He told my mother not to come home if she didn't bring him a granddaughter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it seems like everybody has some kind of story they can't explain, and that sort of sparks their interest in this field.
1: It does, and I have just a, always had an affinity for the paranormal. I was um, that little girl in school who kind of conned her mom into letting her order the, you know, the weekly reader spooky books. And by the time I was about 13, I had come across the books of a third generation ghost hunter named Elliot O'Donnell from England. And um, his books had been published around the turn of the 20th century. They still are, you can still find them. And he did what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I remember telling my mom I was going to be a writer, that I was going to write about the ghosts. And she patted me on the head and said, that's cute, sweetie. Tomorrow you'll want to be a nurse. And mm-hmm. I never wanted to be a nurse. Um, and I just was fascinated with his ability to go and investigate the paranormal, not just collect the stories, which is a lot of fun, but he investigated. He's, he looked into the history of a property. He told you the whole story. Sometimes he went out and he, event- he spent nights in the facilities and places and brought you back his own eyewitness accounts as well. And I just loved his work.
0: Now, is that sort of who you model your work off of?
1: I think every writer has to have their own voice, but I definitely try to make it as rounded as his work. I do my best and I've done a, I didn't ghost hunt at the beginning. I didn't ghost hunt at all. After um, the first book was called haunted Pennsylvania, which is a little confusing because about seven books and there's another haunted Pennsylvania, but different publisher. And it was co-authored with my friend and historian and author, Mark Nesbitt. But anyhow, um, I didn't ghost hunt at all. And I had not anticipated doing it as part of the books. I had thought about going places. And I had done a couple trips with friends of mine to haunted sites. But they weren't things I was writing about. Um, And then I got a letter. And that changed everything. Um, I received these letters. Of course, everybody sends you letters and says they love your book or they hate your book. And one school teacher who had way too much time on her hands bought a copy of the book and re-edited it because she didn't like the punctuation. You can't please everybody. Um, But there was this one letter that stood out. First of all, it was from my hometown of Williamsburg. And the first line of the letter was, I'll never forget it. It said, I need to know, can ghosts hurt you? You see, I have a son who's five years old. And he tells me that the ghost in our house is going to kill him. He's very scared, and I don't know what to do. And then went on beyond that and explained in more detail. And I remember looking at this letter and thinking either this lady is insane, she's looking for publicity, or oh my God, that child's in trouble. And I needed to find out which one it was. So I called the lady up and made arrangements for a friend of mine and myself to go there. And that started my very first investigation. And the lady didn't want publicity and she wasn't insane. That little boy was in trouble. And I was over my head. I won't know, don't know that I would have today, after 25 years of ghost hunting, done it the same way. But I did the best I could at that time. And the family decided that it was safer to move out than to stay in the house while the child was being traumatized. So um, that sort of changed my world because... All of a sudden, ghosts were impacting living people. This child has, was trying to literally hack into a wall to kill the de- the dead guy, the ghost, before the ghost killed him and his baby brother. How terrifying do you have to be as a child to do that?
0: Yeah. And you don't hear too many stories of ghosts trying to cause harm, but there are some out there. That's for sure. There
1: are. And I agree. Like Probably about 95% of the stories are good stories. But in this particular story, I don't know that it was a man trying to cause harm. What had happened was the house was a large house and it was split in half down the middle. So one half was was run. It was, you know, by one family, another half by the other. They lived in the back half of the house. And he little boy told me um, that the mean man came up the stairs and he would tell him that they had to get out or he would kill him. Well, throughout the course of all the research, looking at the original blueprints, finding out all this information, we realized that the house, the whole first floor had once been a post office and a grocery store. And the ghost down didn't seem to mind anybody on the first level, but he didn't like them on the second level, the private residence area. And I think he was just trying to scare this kid and his family out of the house. Um, I know the family on the front half. Uh, didn't want to talk much about it, but they did admit that they were having, as they put it, problems too. I think that that kind of gave me some understanding of what was happening. The man was feeling violated because there were strangers living in his living space. Sure. And so, you know, but as a five-year-old child, he misinterpreted all of this and he just knew that this thing was going to hurt him or said it was going to hurt him and his baby brother.
0: Right. When you're five years old, you sort of, embellish some stuff. And that sounds like that might've happened in this case.
1: And they're also very literal, you know, like if I say to you, I'm going to kill you. Sure. yep it doesn't mean the same thing as it does to maybe a five-year-old who takes things literally.
0: Yep. I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah. So out of all the books you have been writing about the Pennsylvania area, have you have any stories that sort of stuck out with you in the Northeastern or central Pennsylvania part of the state?
1: Well, I write mostly, I, I write the vast majority about central Pennsylvania because that's the area that I live in. And I've got to say that it's interesting because Pennsylvania has areas that have a lot of ghost stories and areas that have almost no ghost stories. That doesn't mean they don't exist. That just means in those areas, people don't want to talk about them for some reason. Um, but probably one of my all-time favorite ghost stories is the story of a gentleman by the name of Reuben Rock, which comes from Blair County, Pennsylvania, Um and it is a true story. I mean, I have actually met Ruben's widow. So during World War II, there was a young man by the name of Ruben Rock. And as so many young men did, he went into the military to fight in World War II. He was stationed in Africa, which means that he would be fighting against the Germans led by Rommel. And during that time, he was gasped with mustard gas. Um, And he also made friends with some of the local people, learned a little bit about voodoo and stuff like that. But after the gassing, his lungs were badly scarred and he was sent home. Before going into the military, he had married his sweetheart and her um, Lorella Dively. And he had begun to build the shell of a house for them before he was sent um, off to war. So when he got back, Luella had... um, not been able to make any progress with it. She had been living with her parents again. And he tried to finish the house, but he was really sick. In fact, he was pretty sure he was dying. He managed to get a couple of the rooms on the first floor finished, and then he collapsed. He was really angry about the war and about being gassed. And he felt that his country had betrayed him because they had sent him into a situation that they weren't equipped for and that didn't have to happen, whatever the events were of that particular battle. And so he made Luella swear that she would not bury him in his military uniform, no matter what. And she said she would. And he died a few weeks later from the mustard gas scarring. And Luella was just penniless. They had no money whatsoever. And so she didn't have the money to bury him. The local um, veterans organizations came to rescue and they said, hey, we would be happy to, to bury him in, with full military honors, but he has to wear his uniform. For a couple of days, Luella, him hauled around about it Her conscience was just devastated because she had promised Reuben she wouldn't do this thing. But in the end, she didn't have any choice. So she agreed to bury him in his uniform. The night of the funeral, after uh, it was over, she went to her home with her sister and literally all hell broke loose. There was thumping on the rooftops. They could hear somebody walking on the floor of the second floor of the house that wasn't finished. They saw Reuben looking in the window at them. They were almost hysterical with fear. And Luella knew she had broken her promise. They finally took off in the middle of the night, ran to her mom and dad's house, and one of her brothers accompanied them back. And he saw and heard the same things that Luella and her sister had. During this period of time, That would, right after this, Luella tried to stay at the house And she grew thinner and thinner and sicker and sicker herself. Finally, her mother had had about enough of it. So she came and she told Luella, that's it, you're coming home. There's something wrong with this place. Um, We're done. She packed up Luella and took her home. And Luella began to get slowly better. And Luella told her mother about a box that was hidden in the house that Reuben had had with things in it from Africa. Devilish things is what she called them. Her sister and brother went to the house and they found the box, brought it back, and there was a fetish, which was made with feathers and bits of bone, and it was attached to a picture of Luella. Her mother was really upset at seeing this, and she grabbed the picture, she tore it off of the uh, fetish, she opened the cook stove and threw the fetish into the cook stove and threw the photograph of Luella onto the table. The testimony of all those present that day was that the picture crawled across the table, undulating like a snake. Wow. Um, The haunting did not let up. So Luella's mother had heard about a powwow doctor. He was uh, kind of an itinerant minister who traveled from Maryland into Pennsylvania and happened to live in the Everett area of Bedford County. And he was known as being a very powerful um, powwow doctor, which is a Pennsylvania German for form of uh, folk medicine and religion kind of woven together. And she thought maybe he could help. So she contacted this man and he agreed. So on a very cold winter's morning at about 6 a.m., Luella's brothers, her father, the local police, and this powwow doctor gathered at the cemetery. And they dug... Reuben up. The Powell doctor had a white sheet. He had laid salt all over the sheet. He unwrapped Reuben and undressed him, wrapped him in the white sheet, prayed over him, and they reburied him and they burned his clothes. Reuben never haunted again, and Luella would continue to live her life. To the best of my knowledge, she never remarried. When I met her, she introduced herself as um, Luella Rock. And she was an elderly woman when I met her. And I think that that's probably one of my favorite stories because so much of it was documentable. Most of the material I gave you came from local newspaper accounts, eyewitness accounts that were written at the time. And um, Luella didn't want to talk a lot about it. But when I asked her specifics, she said those things did happen. And then she wanted to change the topic. And I understood certainly why that was the most devastating things that could happen to a human being.
0: Sure. And it just seems like he was mad because she did not, she broke her promise.
1: He was indeed. He was very angry and upset with her because that meant a lot to him. And she had vowed she would not do this. And, you know, from us looking at it dispassionately, I get that she had no money and she felt she had no choice. She needed to get him buried. Right. I guess he, sure. he didn't feel the same way.
0: Now stories like this, do they sort of submit them to you or do you kind of go out and find them?
1: Mm. It's a treasure hunt. I love it.
0: <laughs> it is part of the, part of the fun of it, actually finding these stories.
1: It is. I, I wrote a book called um, Pennsylvania's Lost Treasures. And um, I love hunting the stories down. That's my treasure hunt. And then other people can take it from there. But Uh, That's my favorite part. And they come in so many different ways. Um, They find me somehow. My favorite, my funniest one is probably, I was doing a story about um, a historical site in Philadelphia. And this was years ago when we still had operators that answered the phones and what have you. And I couldn't find a particular phone number for a particular place I needed to talk to, to verify some data. Mm -hmm. And I asked the operator and she said, um, well, what do you need that information for? Maybe I can help you. I grew up in Philadelphia, and I said, I said this is gonna sound crazy, but I write ghost stories and blah blah blah. And she's like, Oh Lord, girl, don't worry about it. I, I'll hook you up. She's like, and while you're waiting, I'm gonna get you a phone number for this place and this place and this place. They're all haunted, and like she gave me like five ghost stories that day.
0: So she got you a whole list when you were looking for some information on a story, yeah?
1: Huh? Oh yeah, it was. I like, guess probably she probably got herself into hot water because it was like a thirty-minute <laughs> phone
0: call. Yeah, I know like when I started this podcast, geez, almost three years ago now, I thought we'd be doing it for maybe three or four episodes right around the Halloween season and it sort of snowballed from there. People started submitting stories, different groups wanted to come on, authors like yourself and it just sort of took on its own brand.
1: Yeah, it it does. Um, The the books come together. I mean, some of the stories have come to me during book signings from people that wanted to share... um, an intimate story of a loved one or something of that nature others literally fall out out of the sky at me i mean i'm doing something on something else i flip a page in an old newspaper and bam there it is and you know and then there are people who just they have a need and they find me somehow i, I don't advertise that we have a little group that ghost hunts or any of that stuff. It's not something that I advertise anywhere right. and yet they find it. They'll somebody will text me or email me or call me and say, Hey, I was talking to so and so and they said that they knew a lady that knew you and that sometimes you can help people when their houses are haunted and they're scared. Well, I'm scared. And that sets off a whole new investigation.
0: Right. And once you start once you start that first story, it just sort of snowballs from that.
1: It does. And the books are, I have to tell you, the books are funny because my um, editor, my one, my favorite editor, he was um, a little frustrated with me in the very beginning because I write three books at a time. Because if I get bored or stuck on a book, I'll just go jump to another book and work on it for a couple of days and then go back to the primary one. And he kept telling me, stick with your book, stick with your book, just write your, your first book. And I kept saying to him, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And then I'd give him a list of stories and only 80% of them would be different whenever he get the final product. And he go, these aren't the stories we agreed on. And I'm like, no, but they're better stories.
0: Right. If you find something better, you switch it out.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what I would do. And at first he didn't trust it until he finally read the first manuscript. And he was like, you're right. They're better stories. And I'm like, I know they make, they make their way to me whenever they need to be told. And I just have had to learn to accept that I'm not in control of this process. I just am the writer. I'm the scribe.
0: Now, your books, you mostly concentrate on the western side of the state and central PA? Do you venture over to the northeast side at all?
1: I do sometimes. I have some friends that ghost hunt up in coal country and what have you. Um, I was up in a coal mine up that way one time to shoot a as documentary and spent a like a few weeks up that way collecting stories. And, you know, there's a lot of great stories up there and there's a lot of stories in the, in the Pocono mountains, um, that are just unique. Every area seems to have its, uh, type of ghost story, if you will. And I think that's in general produced because of the, um, the people that settled that area. Like, you know, if you have Slavic people and, um, Russian people and that people that are Greek Orthodox in their faith, they'll have a certain type of ghost story, and it's in sure, yep. you know, same same with uh I think the work that's done Altoona Blair County is going to be full of railroad stories. Um, the mining country is going to be full of stories of haunts from miners and um, you know, mine collapses and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and I think the one thing Pennsylvania really has going for in this field is just the history behind it. This most of the buildings and area is steep history as opposed to other parts of the country
1: yeah that's um and that's one of the biggest components of a good ghost story frankly is if i tell you a story about the the lady in the purple dress who haunts an old monastery outside of whatever town pick one um it's just a story right but if i tell you that in 1903 There was a lady who was riding along with her bow in a buggy, and a car went by, spooked the horse. The horse took off, and the buggy crashed not too far from the doors of a monastery. The monks helped carry her inside and tried to render it A, while others went to get a doctor. And she died in the front lobby of the main building of the monastery. Now we have a ghost story.
0: Right, the story behind it is what makes the story, not just what happened last week when you saw a ghost it's the whole story the history behind it
1: it is it's the context it's the um it gives it texture it allows you to personalize this to being a human being not just a piece of fiction how do you know this is true well because i can prove to you here's the newspaper clipping that this event happened
0: yep i totally agree with the the background work is what makes the story
1: and yeah, and people don't realize, like, I for a book that's about 170 pages, I might do 600 pages of background notes and research.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of work that goes into collecting these stories and putting the books together, I'm sure.
1: There is, and that's, I enjoy, I enjoy that, I do. Writing the books is a labor of love. It has always been and probably will always be a labor of love. I'm grateful that other people enjoy them beyond anybody's ability to comprehend the fact that people will plop down 20 or $30 for a book I wrote. That's money that means their time and labor is so humbling. It's amazing to me and I am truly grateful. But at the end of the day, I write the stories the way I write them because I know that if I enjoy them that way, my readers will too. And that's what really matters to me. I'm to take you one of the best magic carpet ride i can as a writer and that's all i ever set out to do
0: right it's definitely it's a form of entertainment
1: it is it's a form of entertainment it's a form of t- of education we did a pro- project with blair um, county's school systems called history through hauntings and junior high kids just ate it up like we would pick three places in your in your local area that were haunted and historic. And then the kids had to research them, present a paper on them, do something to tell the story. And they got to go for a ghost hunt with me at one of the places.
0: Of course, yeah, because if even when you don't realize it, you're still learning the history, too, along with the exactly. ghost story.
1: They will swallow an awful lot of history to get a ghost story out of something, let me tell you.
0: I believe it, yep. So after all your research and collecting ghost stories over the years, do you have one that really sticks out with you? One that you remember?
1: Oh, there's so many. Um,
0: I guess I'm saying, like, what would your favorite one be?
1: It's like asking which is my best, my favorite (laughs) kid. It really is. Um, I have different ones that are favorite ones for different reasons. Uh, So I'll tell you one from Gettysburg because this is one of my favorite stories. My friend Mark Nesbitt collected this story. So the credit goes to him, but I absolutely love this story. Um, There is a a legend, if you will, um, that when Chamberlain was marching in to Gettysburg to participate in a battle, him and his men, early in the morning, riding up through the ranks of the men, was a man on a gray-white horse. He had a cape, a cloak, and a strange-looking hat. And people fell hushed as they saw him ride by. People wondered who this man was. They had never seen him before. And he marched, you know, he kept riding forward as they were marching. And um, at one point he turned and they realized the funny looking hat was a tricorned hat. And others recognized his face. It is said, that, and Chamberlain would later write in his journals, that his men said that Washington marched into battle with them in Gettysburg that day.
0: Well, wow, that's a very interesting story. I would understand why that's one of your favorites.
1: I'm, I, I When Mark tells it, like I get chills every time. I've probably heard it a hundred times because we've been friends forever. But it is one of my favorite ghost stories of all time. And I love the thought that in times of great stress, our heroes return.
0: Yeah, that definitely is a thought right there. Makes you think.
1: It does. There's great. There's so many great stories. You know, um, there's Matt Anthony Wayne. There's the, uh, just the smaller stories of people whose family members have come back to them for whatever the reason. There's just so many amazing stories. Pennsylvania, if I were lucky and could chronicle my, the ghosts and the hauntings and the history of PA for another 50 years, if God gave me that grace, I'd still not have scratched the surface. That's how many stories are in the state.
0: Oh, there certainly is a lot. I know just, like I said, the past few years, just doing this podcast, we try to concentrate on northeastern part of central Pennsylvania. And there's no shortage of stories that I've come by yet.
1: Oh, no, like the whole, the whole of Pennsylvania is that way. Um, and I get, there are just tons and tons and tons of stories in history. And, you know, um, more coming every day. One of the things I find amazing about history is that, It is always breathing, living, and changing, believe it or not. People think history is written in a book and it never changes, but that's not true. Um, I got lucky once and found a Confederate soldier and changed the National Archive records um, due to a ghost story. And, you know, so history is always changing and in ways that we can't even begin to imagine.
0: Yeah, you always find a different point of view, a different perspective.
1: Yeah, or a fact that was missing, you know, which is what happened for me. I found a fact that was missing and realized that everything was in error. And how do you fix that? Because this one fact was missing. It's amazing. And it's the same with every ghost story. I mean, not literally that particular event that led me to the Confederate soldier, to his grave, um, literally was a ghost story. And then I started to tear it apart and say, if it is a story, then is there any truth to this story? And then that's what took me down that road that seven years later led me to them changing the National Archive records and the largest Civil War uh, funeral since the end of the Civil War.
0: Yeah, just goes to show you started, like you said, just from a, a ghost story you've collected.
1: Yeah, every time I got to that region, people would come up to me and say, did you ever hear about the Confederate soldier who haunts Evergreen Cemetery. And I decided one day to start looking into it and see if there really was a Confederate soldier buried in Evergreen Cemetery. And then how did he get there? And then what were the series of events that that were around it? And it took a long time, but we figured it out.
0: If anyone's interested in getting one of your books, how would they be available? Are they online mostly? Are they available at local bookstores?
1: both they should be available both um through the bookstores and um you can get them online you can get them from amazon or um just look them up anywhere you should be able to purchase them and if you happen to be going to one of the ghost conferences or something that are finally coming back this summer i miss the fun of all that stop by and say hi if i get close by
0: yeah finally it seems to have more in-person events as opposed to all the stuff happening online recently
1: I have missed that there is a um, synergy that happens when you're talking with people live that just doesn't happen when you're talking online.
0: Yep, it's that interaction. Yep. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming on and sharing some of your stories. You definitely have some interesting stories, that's for sure, and a lot of books.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, you're welcome. Maybe we'll have you on again.
1: I would love that. Bring me on your Halloween and we'll tell some spooky tales.
0: That sounds good. Thanks again.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Yep. Have a good night. You too, honey. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Creepy Side of NEPA. If you haven't already, please be sure to follow WNAP's Creepy Side of NEPA on Facebook. That is the best way to always be informed on the latest show information. And one more thing before I leave you this evening. I'd just like to remind everybody, if you have a story you would like to share, Or maybe an idea for an upcoming topic on the show. Submit your ideas to ghost at WNEP.com. We love hearing from everybody. Until next time, enjoy the creepy side of NEPA. This has been the creepy side of NEPA. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at WNEP.com for your chance to share it on an upcoming episode. We are dying to hear from you.